Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Sweet, sweet. You guys ready for me to preach? Yeah, all right, sweet. Let's do it. Uh, if it's your first time here, welcome to the mountain. Uh, my name is uh, Samuel, and uh, I'm excited to preach. Uh, my, August is actually one of my favorite times of the year because my birthday's in August. Uh, and I understand that to be incredibly selfish, but that's just kind of how it happened. You know what I mean? I love August. Uh, my daughter, Presley's birthday is also in August. Uh, and so that's exciting. And we both feel closer as a result. We're like, we're both those people. Uh, we get the August birthdays. Any other August birthdays in this place? Anybody else special? Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. Any other special folks? Come on, special, special. Love that. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so that's exciting. Very, very cool. Um, and uh, I'm going to be preaching today about Jesus. Uh, hopefully you don't get tired of me preaching about Jesus, because I think I'm going to go on a Jesus run here, uh, and if that offends anybody, I'm so sorry. I really love Jesus, and I, I love talking about Jesus. I love preaching about Jesus. I love teaching about Jesus, and uh, not just the historical figure, uh, but Jesus as it relates to our everyday life right now, uh, and that's really exciting to understand Jesus as uh, able to have an effect on our life right now today. That is actually the significance of our Christian walk, right? Is that Jesus has had an effect on our life right now, thousands of years later. And that's pretty amazing and incredible. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it today. Uh, and the kind of topic and theme of this is going to be uh, stories and visions for our life. And <clears throat> so we're going to be looking at some of the parables, uh, really rather one parable but in the context of what parables do to us and why Jesus taught in parables. Uh, and he taught in stories at different points. And there's a reason why he taught in stories. Um, and if you look at even the parables in Matthew, and there's about 20 of them, and you see the, the topic or the theme or the objects that are in them, and you could actually see that the parables he taught were directly correlated to people's actual lives. So you see parables on lampstands, on sowers, and weeds, and mustard seeds, and leaven, which is the stuff in the bread, uh, nets for fishermen, homeowners, wandering sheep, workers in the vineyard, two sons, wedding banquets, fig trees, uh, talents, sheeps, and the goat, uh, or sheep and the goat. Uh, so when you see this, you actually see that, that Jesus preached on uh, stuff that was immediately connected to people's life. And so he utilized these things, these life things, to teach a deeper principle. Uh, and I actually think this is something, uh, a good skill for us to learn in relationship with Jesus, is that you have, for sure, up till now, a story you believe about yourself. By a raise of hands, how many of you know or are conscious of the story you tell about yourself? You know, like the character you say you are, uh, the weaknesses it has, the strengths it has, the failures it, ha it has had, and why. So you tell a story about yourself. Uh, there's a lot of different people who study this effect, the story we tell about ourselves, psychologists, filmmakers. Uh, there's some really great TED Talks about storytelling. And uh, no matter how you see it or which way or angle you study it, it's a human understanding that we actually are storytellers and that we buy into stories for our lives and others' lives. 
And you actually categorize everybody else in your life according to the story you tell for yourself as well. Uh, so what character are you in this story? You'll begin to understand that you put other people in some kind of orbiting your story character plot line according to what you believe about yourself. And all this can be very, very complicated because there's so many different stories and there's so many different ways we see ourselves and others. But the bottom line fact to start with is that we have a story we have come to believe about ourselves. Now, whether that story is biblical, whether that story is rooted in Jesus' truth for our life is a completely different question to ask. And so I want to take us into this understanding today that we have a story we tell about ourselves and that Jesus tells these parables or these stories, these narratives, so that they can affect the way we see ourselves and others. Uh, these visuals, these visions, they're meant to be easier for us to carry than a lot of words. A picture is easier to remember than a thousand words and or a lecture. So you can keep in your head this, this, these visions and these images that come from parables much easier than we can keep a long, long lecture or sermon to describe the same picture. So what we're going to try and do today is we're going to take a specific parable and we're going to try and understand how we actually relate to these stories that Jesus tells and the way they're supposed to affect our story and the way we relate to our story. But key amongst all of it is it's meant to give a little mental shortcut to when you're walking with Jesus, you have this, wait, what am I doing again? And then you remember the visual, you remember the story Jesus is telling about your life, and you commune with it. You meditate on it so that it can have an effect on how you see yourself and others. Okay, that's the setup in the intro. Are you guys ready to jump into the Word? I want to make sure you're following me on this because I'm going to try and uh, preach and teach in a way that allows us to carry the stories that Jesus tells. Uh, or I'm going to try to teach us to carry them in our life so that we can tell a different story about ourselves and others, one that's more accurate to the nature of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the truth of Jesus. Okay, so... Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It's a very short one, but we're going to kind of see here uh, this visual or this parable, this story. So Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Okay, so right away we have a lot going on. It's a short passage. But Jesus just created two different worlds, a world of which the person built their house on the words of God and then did those things. So that's the foundation, hearing and doing. Uh, and then the, another world where the person did not do that, and that person was foundationless or had a foundation that was incapable of enduring storms. Wow, so this is a lot. There's a lot going on because when you begin to actually interact with these images, with this story about your life, you begin to probably ask a couple questions. You begin to probably ask, like I did, well, 
Is my life falling apart? <laughs> is my house in crumbles and in shambles? And if you have assessed that it is, uh, then you're probably thinking you are the foundationless person. Uh, you are the person who has not heard the words of God uh, and done them. Uh, and so you, you might be in that place where you're like, hey, my life is in an absolute shambles right now. Now, you may or may not be right about that assessment. I want you to know that. I've met people before that said their life was a wreck and in shambles. And when they told me all about it, I go, it's not, no, 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 it's not quite there yet. I mean, you might be close, but it's, it's still very much in a place where you're capable of enduring and it's not all lost. So you might absolutely be in a storm and you might think it is going to fall apart. But very well, that may just be fear tempting you to believe something that's not true. So you may or may not be right about your assessment that you are a crumbling house. You may think you're crumbling, but you're just in a storm. Now, the good foundation and the bad foundation both experience storms. Both experience a pressure that we may end up believing will cause the demise or the doom of our structure. Uh, so both can believe it, uh, but only one is right. Right, So in, in assessing and understanding this, we're carrying this image from this story. What are the most important images we're carrying? Well, the image I believe is extremely important, the one to set up foundationally, is the rock. Okay, so this rock, it's a symbol, right? It's a vision. This is really healthy to understand that we operate in vision. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. So the visions we carry in our life oftentimes are the visions of the stories we tell about ourselves. So we have this rock. And all of a sudden we see a rock as a theme in Scripture. And if you go to cross-study this and look at, and reference out the rest of Scripture, you'll begin to see this rock is not just talked about in one passage. You'll actually begin to see that it goes way beyond that. And if you study it, and I study it, we'll begin to get a greater picture and understanding of this rock. Okay, so... Uh, and just by the way, Jesus is actually in Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. Okay, so when we think about rocks, when we think about solid places, secure foundations, I think it's critical for us to understand that we're talking about Jesus. This is important. Because if your confidence, if your stability comes from things that are not Jesus, I think it's extremely important that you and I convert our foundation to Jesus. So you may have built your foundation on your gifts. You may have built it on the inheritance of your family. You may have built it on the skill sets you got from a certain coach, mentor, or teacher. So you might feel like you have a really solid foundation. But scripturally, this parable is trying to speak to uh, the enduring nature of building our lives on Jesus versus the incapable of enduring, not long-suffering nature of building our life on anything that is not the rock, which is Jesus. Now, this is an extreme notion because many would believe that there's a lot of foundations we can build on and do good things, right? So this is a very extreme notion that the way to prospering or long-suffering, or endurance, especially in an eternal way, that there's only one way, and that way which would be to build our lives on Jesus. This, I think, confronts a lot. 
inside of us, right? This confronts our willingness to build on our own will and way. It speaks to us. It confronts us. It says, well, okay, so you're building on your own way. You're building on your own will and gifts and your own strengths. And this begins to confront us and invite us to a very simple measure, a very simple conviction, which is to turn from that building on anything that isn't Jesus and turn to Jesus and build on Jesus and Jesus alone. So this can feel extreme. This can feel radical. This can feel like it's not, not very friendly in negotiating. Sometimes I think we relate things to Jesus that we ought not relate to Jesus. Sometimes I think we relate uh, compromise to Jesus. Like he's compromising. He's cool, man. I'm like 95% with Jesus. And he's cool with that. He's super happy with that. He really loves that about me. And sometimes we think of Jesus. All right, there it is. Yeah, we killed all the crickets. We got those things out of here. So sometimes I think we can think about Jesus in a way that he compromises or he's willing to allow us to have some kind of part of our life that isn't built on him. And because he's so unconditional in his love, sometimes I think we can imagine that he's okay with us not giving those things up to him or, or allowing him to redo our entire foundation and we could think of a fragmented foundation kind of idea that he's okay. Like he thinks I'm doing pretty good. He's proud of me. He loves me. And yet he loves you absolutely, but he is 100%, I can guarantee this, inviting you to absolute surrender. Absolute. And this, is, this has no shade of compromise. This has no shade of negotiation. This is an absolute surrender walk with Jesus. And between you and Jesus, he knows whether that's happening or not. It's really hard for me to know. I might make a lot of mistakes in judgment. Like if I was responsible to judge who's absolutely surrendering and who's not, I might be wildly inaccurate, right? So I don't take on that role to judge who's absolutely surrendering and who's absolutely not. I don't take on that role, but you can guarantee yourself that Jesus sees it. Jesus knows the heart. He sees the depths of who we are. And so he interacts with us on a all-knowing level. So you can fool everyone else around you, but you can't fool Jesus. So you might as well be honest with Jesus because he's already honestly seeing all of you. Isn't that exciting? Oh, man. Okay, cool. Sweet. So when we see and understand that Jesus is the rock and that hearing and doing what Jesus is saying is the foundational success to our life. When we hear this, when we interact with this, all of a sudden this image of the rock of our life has a whole lot connected to it. And that image and that story begins to speak something to us and it begins to interact with the story we tell about ourselves. And so when you hear about the rock of your life, the foundation of your life, you begin to interact with all of the things it means because you start to think about it and you go, well, what's connected to hearing and doing then? What's connected to that? How many, how many truths, how many stories, how many principles are connected to that? Well, we've begun to talk about in Matthew 5 and 6, we've begun to talk about some of the teachings that Jesus has done, right? You see Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who. And you see a long list of blessings, right? 
and characteristics that are connected to the blessing. And then you move into things where it begins to talk about oaths. It begins to talk about retaliation. It begins to talk about divorce. It begins to talk about lust. It begins to talk about anger. It begins to teach on many things leading up into this point. And you see that Jesus actually has teachings for us that ask us to behave in a certain way. This is huge because when he says, blessed are those, or excuse me, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, this isn't ambiguous. He's referencing the teachings that had just preceded this statement. So this isn't like, hey, in general, the notion, the very kind, fantastic notion of doing what, hearing what I say and doing them. No, he's like actually referencing like, okay, so if he just got done with a really long lecture, teaching a lot of very specific character qualities, right? So say that thing was four hours long. At the end of it, he's going, okay, now, if you do all of those things, here will be the outcome of your life. Here will be the outcome, especially when it relates to storms and to environmental shifts and atmosphere shifts. Because you and I as Christians, we don't get to experience life in a stormless way. That's not one of the blessings we get. That's not one of the guarantees by God that we get. Uh, but what we do get is that if we build our life on Jesus, that when those storms come, because they will, 100% guarantee, we can all attest to that, right? Storms are the worst. Uh, but when they come, right, you will be able to remain rather than collapsing. This is what a lot of people will teach and a lot of people will point to in reference is the enduring nature of building your life on the foundation, which is Jesus. And it's founded on the rock. This is what it says, and I thought that was so informative because it had been founded on the rock. Has, have any of you started a business like you're the founder of a business? Okay, so as the founder, there's some real significance to being a founder. You created it from scratch, right? This was something that you created and maybe in partnership with other people, but you had to write the, the bylaws. You had to write, the, the, you had to write all the different things out. You had to create this thing, right? And you did it from scratch. So when you've been founded on the rock, there's something actually very informative about the idea that you're founded on the rock. This is pointing to a rebirth. This is pointing to you're not just band-aiding this thing up, right? When you give your life to Jesus, it means that you are being refounded on the foundation, which is Jesus. Which means that you move everything back, right? Everything goes back to scratch. You're, this isn't a, uh, let's, th let's think of it this way. When it comes to a relationship with Jesus, he's not your editor, right? He's not going through and editing sentence structures, you're taking the whole essay, you're taking the entire paper that you might think you've worked on for 20, 30 years, you're taking the whole thing, you're crumbling it up and you're giving it to him. And now maybe he gives you some paragraphs back, right? Because those are things he instilled in you. Those are things that he gifted you with from birth. So maybe you get some things back. But needless to say, nonetheless, you give all of your life to Jesus, you give every element of, to, of it to Jesus, and you say, okay, I'm not going to build my life on those foundations, even though they've been actually prosperous and effective up to this point. And if we can create these, these crises of transition, of foundation, almost premature to us experiencing great pain, 
we can experience transformation in a way that will bless us. But when we only change things because it starts to cause death and decay, uh, there was this saying that I grew up with. And it was that a person won't change until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change. And this is something I've actually found to be somewhat of a human condition. Uh, I, I believe that uh, transformation or transformation, uh, transformation in Jesus does not require this statement to be true. And when you look at Romans 12 too, uh, it, it, there is this invitation to being transformed uh, that doesn't require this thesis to be true. Uh, I believe it is describing pretty decently human condition. Uh, oftentimes, humans are pretty resilient to change, and they only change if they're basically going to die. <laughs> or the way that they're living is so painful that they, it's just better to change now. But this doesn't have to be the case in relationship with Jesus. We can, in a sense, be very uh, intentional, very forward-thinking in our motion with Jesus that we walk with him. And we walk with him. And as we walk with him, we're invited to be like him. And when we're invited to be like him, we don't have to experience great consequence in life to finally go, you know what, I do want to change. Because the kindness of God leads to repentance. This is not a scripture that points to, this is a scripture that points to real behavior change. So when, uh, when a statement like that says pain is the teacher of change and change alone, or excuse me, pain is the only teacher of change, and you're going to have to experience a lot of it in order for you and I to change, it's negating the power of God in the process of transformation. There is a kindness and a love of God that can lead to great change. When we believe this and we understand this, we actually begin to build our life on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. But it is going to be a requirement of us that this is a choice. This is a paradigm shift that we're taking our life and we are entirely placing it on Jesus, the entirety of it. So in many senses, it's important for us to understand that this rock, this foundation that's enduring is Jesus, and that I want to be founded on Jesus, which means I'm willing to let God go all the way down to the very base desires I have and touch on them, transform them, adjust them, edit them. I was having a great conversation uh, with somebody recently, my barber actually. I have a barber and I go to a barber shop and I absolutely love it. When I was growing up, I went to salons because my mom brought me to them. The first time I went to a barber, I was like, I should have been here the whole time. Why was I in salons the whole time, man? You had like some nine-year-old lady getting her hair permed up in one of those weird machines, you know what I mean? And I'm getting my hair cut. And then I went to a barber shop. I was like, yeah, they're talking about basketball. They're talking about basketball. They're talking about basketball. And I love this place. I got a funny story. One time, I, and it's a very short one, but one time I went to my barber, uh, and he has a different barber shop than he was now, and it was a small one. You know, there's only four chairs, uh, and uh, <laughs> I didn't know that the door didn't have, like, anything on it, so it was really light, and I was walking in in, like, John Stockton shorts, you know what I mean, uh, and, like, a tank top, and I had my hair just kind of all wild, and I, uh, I went to just open the door, but it just slammed open, and it had the blinds, and it was... <laughs> 
and all this noise, and I'm just sitting there in the doorway, and everyone just turns and looks at me. <laughs> the goofiest white boy situation in the world, and I absolutely loved it. I was just like, oh, hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> and it was a really great situation. But I was talking to my barber, right? And uh, we're talking about the things that truly shape us and how we interact with people. And we started to talk about race and how that affects us and how we see ourselves and how we see the world. We started to talk about nationality and do you see yourself as American? Are you an American or are you a Christian? Are you an African-American or are you a Christian? Are you a white person or are you a Christian? And you begin to look at these other things, these other identity patterns, and you begin to ask yourself the question, like, are these things me? Or when I'm walking with Jesus, do I all of a sudden give up all of my other memberships and all of my other citizenships and subscribe to only one identity? <laughs> that was rhetorical, brother. <laughs> so all of a sudden we get to this place where, okay, well, if I'm living my life, am I the son of my father and mother or am I the son of God? Not the son of God, Jesus, right? Right? Okay, but you see what I'm saying? Co-heirs? Okay, cool. So am I, am I a son or daughter of God, or am I the son or daughter of my parents? Do I carry these generational curses? Are these my identity to take on, or am I inheriting the blessings of God? And you begin to interact with these things, and it goes really, really deep, I believe, and it goes foundational. Like, are you building your life on the rock of your human identity, or are you building your life on the rock that is an identity in Jesus? So we can think that we're building our life on the rock that is Jesus, but sometimes, in a very sneaky way, we begin to build our life on the rock, which is some other identity that isn't exactly an identity in Jesus. At one point in my life, I would have had my, rock, my, my house built on the rock of a competitor or of an athlete. This is not building your rock on the life that is Jesus. And this is a very common thing that I run into with Christian, especially young athletes. I'll start talking to them about their relationship with Jesus and their identity in Jesus and their relationship to sports. And so often it's hard for them to disentangle their identity from their athletics. Like you would say something along the lines like I would have when I was 16. I am a basketball player. And I didn't, wouldn't just say it as something I do or enjoy doing, but I would say it as something that is an intricate part of my identity. And you may not be an athlete, you may not relate to that, but you might put in something else there, right? You might say, I am an artist. And you would see that as an inextricable, immovable object in your identity. It is foundational to your life. And you might even get to the point where your job has become more of your foundation and more of your identity than anything else. You might say, I'm an insurance broker. I'm a I'm a, mortgage, uh, I'm a mortgage guy, I'm a, I'm a real estate agent, I'm a cop, I'm a fireman, whatever it may be, you might have got to the place in your life where something you do or something you love is your identity and is your foundation. And a lot of times we can, we can protect this and we can keep it safe and we can go like, there's, well, there's really nothing bad about it. Uh, and, and I would in many senses agree with you that there's not a whole lot bad about it except for except for it is not eternal and enduring the way Jesus or a foundation of Jesus is enduring and eternal. So when the storms hit, the house built on the foundation of an athlete identity, it's going to come crumbling down. 
when the storms hit on the identity of a, I'm a pastor, it's going to come crumbling down. Vocation is not a good eternal identity concept for us to carry in our life. Our jobs, these aren't supposed to be the foundation of our life. Uh, And even this is where it gets really, really tricky, right? Being a father or a mother is not supposed to take this foundational place that Jesus is meant to have. So every significant role we see in our life, absolutely, their significance, their value, their biblical, great, that's awesome. I'm not talking about whether they're good or significant. I'm talking about whether they should be your foundation. So something can be a part of your house structure and not be the foundation you've built it all on. So like one of the panels of my house is probably pastor, right? Another panel of my house now is a businessman, right? And this is a growing and developing one that's very exciting for me. Another panel of my house is a father. Another panel of my house is a husband. And and that's probably like the chief uh, panel, right? Maybe the roof of my house is the fact I'm a husband. I got to love my wife like Christ loves the church. Then maybe next is father, right? These are very significant roles I play. But they aren't my foundation. So when we speak to what is our foundation, what are we truly being founded on? There is a tremendous power when we recognize that Jesus used in his story an image. So you can carry with you every single day, what is my foundation? What is my rock in my life? A couple litmuses I would recommend. Ask yourself, what gives you the most security? When you think about it, what gives you the most comfort? Is it your bank account? Is it your friends? Is it your family, your wife? Like, what gives you the most, you know what? I was feeling pretty shaky until I remembered that, and now I don't feel shaky anymore. Like, if your comfort is something that isn't God, if your security is something that isn't God first and foundationally, and you go down the list of all the roles that God's supposed to play, and you realize you've outsourced it to everything else besides God, then you might actually see it as very revealing of where your relationship is at with God. So Holy Spirit is a comforter, right? But if you never experience comfort from the Holy Spirit, I mean, how good is your relationship with the Holy Spirit? It just helps us understand, like, okay, well, when I'm in deep pain, what do I do with it? Do I, do I dope myself up with some kind of entertainment, some kind of drug, some kind of alcohol when I'm in pain? Do I, through my coping mechanisms, do I access different pleasure, dopamine-releasing entertainments, activities, or substances? When you take a look at these things and the vices that exist in our life and these broken foundation elements, you and I can probably recognize that those broken elements exist because we are currently being sustained or built on something that is not the nature and character of Jesus. So when you experience great pain and you don't access comfort by God for those things, then you're going to be seeking comfort from something else that isn't God. So I'm not saying that your wife can't hug you and cuddle with you and love on you, and that's not something that's very great and rewarding. I hug my kids sometimes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, everything is okay. Like, 
And when every, if everything else has its stressors, you can hug your kids, you can hug your loved ones, and it can be incredibly inspiring and touching, right? And so I'm not saying that there can't be things that are an extension of God in your life, right? But these things are connected to a foundation, to a root source. Like, and look throughout Scripture, and you'll see that Jesus is teaching to these very real-life things, right? That's why he's like, hey, love your wife like Christ loves the church. So even my marriage, the foundation of my marriage is Christ, if I allow it to be, right? Because my motivation for loving my wife greatly is the motivation that comes from Jesus loving me and everybody else. And so again, it points back to, yes, loving my wife is very important. It's significant to my life, and her loving me is very important. But it points back to what's your foundation? What's your motivation in that relationship? If it's Jesus, it's going to have an, an unconditional, perfect supply of love for you to have for your spouse. If it's not Jesus, then it's going to have uh, the same resource that that motivator has. So if it's a person, it's going to really fall short at different times. Have you ever seen somebody give really bad advice to somebody when they were in a marriage? I've seen it plenty of times, and I'm like, ah! Because a lot of times the bad advice speaks to an emotional convenience for one of the people in the marriage. And man, if you go to emotional convenience when you're through a time of turmoil and crisis, you're bound to behave unlike Jesus. It's a real challenge. Our emotions in these painful places tend to lead us down a path that is incredibly difficult, incredibly challenging, and oftentimes has us behaving unlike Jesus, choosing decisions that are not like Jesus. You see Peter cutting off people's ears in a difficult crisis place. You see these different elements in these different places, and it's go, okay, well, Peter, what are you drawing from when you hit that place of crisis? And we can see through studying Peter, and I've preached on it several times, he was accessing anger and violence that was a protector for him. So, so you and I can recognize these things. Just look to the fruit of your behavior. It's not random. Almost entirely, it's going to reveal a root inside of you. It's going to reveal a foundational element of your life. And you get to look at it and go, hey, thank God I am seeing a foundation in my life that's broken. So I can meet with God and be like, I want you to be my foundation. I don't want that foundational thing anymore. I don't want that. How do I move? Do I move? Do I take it all up, God? What do I do here? Who do I ask? How do I get advice? Where am I going? What am I doing? Am I still going to be motivated tomorrow? So you have all of these elements and all these things. But meanwhile, Jesus is telling a story. He's telling a story that's supposed to stick with you. That's supposed to stick in your heart and in your mind. It's supposed to stick in your spirit. And you're supposed to carry this rock around. This story about a rock. It's such a simple story. It's just a little bit of a paragraph, right? But there's a story about a rock. And it says so much to you. It says so much to you and I. And there's another part in Luke 6, 46 through 49. I want to read it to you because it continues on this rock narrative. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Again, it's challenging and confronting our behavior. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Okay, I pulled this one up for you guys because it has a little bit of a different uh, narrative for you on the rock. What does it say here in ad that Matthew didn't? 
dug deep. Dug deep. Here's my encouragement to you. If you see behavior patterns and you're like, that's not like Jesus, look to your foundation and be willing to dig a little deeper than you ever have before. When you want to work on foundation, you can't just change the door out on a house. You got to go deep. You got to get underneath that concrete foundation and you got to look to those broken places. Foundational work is really challenging because it requires you go to deeper than probably you want to, right? I had this leak at my house and we weren't sure where it was. We thought it might be under the driveway. It wasn't. Woohoo! And because when a leak's under the driveway, it's like, oh man, you got to go deep. You got to break up some hard ground and then you got to repair the pipe and then you got to reconcrete. So there's a lot of work when you're doing foundational stuff. So sometimes we don't want to do it, right? Sometimes we're like, that's a lot of work. Maybe we could just find our way around it or just keep paying these high water bills. It's just a part of my life, you know? It's okay. I don't want to dig down. It's too much work. And I want to encourage you. I want to provoke you. I want to, I want to incentivize you. Like, whatever you think the cost of digging deep is, the cost of not going to those places is much more. The cost of the enemy continuing to plague you in foundational ways is much higher than the cost of going deep with Jesus. So much consequence, there's so much pain, there's so much damage, there's so much chaos when these foundational issues can remain. So when it speaks to this place of rock, you begin to get this picture and you begin to get this story. Okay, I'm, re- I'm, I'm doing my foundation, I'm going to be founded on the foundation of Jesus. What does that mean? It means I hear and I do. How do I do that? Dig deep. Dig deep. Dig, 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 dig. Dig, 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 dig. When you do something and you don't know why, dig. Dig a little bit deeper. Dig a little bit deeper. And I'm not saying that, you know, to, hey, talk about your childhood. Because sometimes it is that. And sometimes it isn't that. Right? So this isn't one of those, like, therapy things to say, hey, just always talk about your childhood. That's always the problem. No, sometimes the problem happened six months ago. You know what I mean? Uh, and so you got to just dig deeper, though. Understand who you are apart from Jesus and understand what has been resilient in your life to remain and understand where that foundation issue is and be willing to dig deep and redo it with Jesus. Dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and it begins to continue to speak to that place of promise, right? What takes place when you're willing to dig deep? When the storms come, it will endure. When the storm comes for those who didn't dig deep to find the rock, then it will not. And I I like this part about the digging deep, right? Sometimes you're like, what am I looking for when I'm digging deep? Well, you're looking for Jesus. And so you're not looking for more problems per se, more issues per se. Your issues or your bad behavior can point to a fault in your foundation that you got to dig deep and find Jesus in that line of thought. But you're not looking for problems alone or the root of a problem alone. You're looking for Jesus at the very foundation, at the very base of that issue. Because Jesus is going to meet us in that place of need. And this is a great promise about Jesus that I don't think a lot of people understand. He's not just blessing the good we do, but also he is, he is there at the very depth of our issues, right? Waiting to meet us. Waiting to meet us in that place of brokenness. Waiting to meet us in that place of foul sin nature, waiting to meet us in that place of curse. And he is in those places as well as blessing the positive things. 
So I want to encourage you, dig deep and look for Jesus at the depth of your brokenness. Because that's what it says, right? Who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. So don't stop digging until you find Jesus at the very bottom of that issue. So it might look like understanding what your issue is, studying the word on it to see who Jesus is in those places of lust. See who Jesus is in those places of anger. See who Jesus is in those places of retaliation. See who Jesus is in those places of how you interact with your enemy. Because there's an alternative story that Jesus tells, and it will be a replacement narrative for you if you're willing to exchange deep and meaningful broken narratives you carry about your life in exchange for life-giving narratives that Jesus has for your life. Don't forget the great scripture we always quote. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you hope in the future. This is a huge part of Jesus for you. He's got a story he's trying to unfold in your life. He's got a plan he's trying to unfold in your life. Will you be willing to dig deep to find that rock of salvation, that rock of transformation, that rock of grace, that rock of mercy? Don't float the surface. Don't medicate yourself with dopamine-releasing entertainment and substance things. Seek to find Jesus as your foundation in all things. Be a great husband from there, a great father from there, a great wife or mother, daughter, son, whatever role you have in your life, boss or business owner or employee, whatever role you have, allow yourself to find find yourself building your entire being on the foundation, which is Jesus. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.